Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, February 26. A key to introspection is to focus on the rhythms of your breath, on its calmness or rapidity, on its force of flow, on the location of that flow in the nostrils, on each pause between the breaths, on the relative length of inhalation to exhalation. In sleep, for instance, exhalation is twice as long as inhalation. Your breathing is a reflection of your mental state. As you watch it, you will find yourself becoming inwardly calm, and your stillness, in turn, will deepen your introspection. Very interesting connection of ideas, as Swami's always doing. This starts out, here is a key to introspection, which is to watch the breath, because watching the breath will calm the mind, and what we're trying to do when we're introspecting is we're trying to get a clear, unbiased um, perspective on what our inner reality actually is. You know, people who don't introspect often have no idea what's really motivating them. They're reacting to life left and right, and they're always trying to keep life in order the way they want it to be, and they simply don't know why they're doing anything. And when, when people who are non-introspective, you can't, it's very difficult to have a conversation with them on any level beyond the material plane, because they just won't know. And people who are, who are not calm in their introspection will often come up with explanations for what they're doing, which are, are not their explanations at all. They won't know what they're afraid of, they won't know what they're feeling, there was a, 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 an unfortunate brief marriage um, among a couple of my acquaintance, and the difficulty was that neither of them, up to that point in their life, had been capable of honest introspection. And as a result, they suffered, unfortunately, from something which could be summarized as saying they didn't know where their pain was coming from. Both of them had had a difficult upbringing for different reasons, and as a consequence, they, they were very vulnerable to certain kinds of uh, interactions and comments. You know, it, would, it was like something happening in the present would, would subconsciously remind them of something that happened in the past. They would have a reaction to that familiarity, negative reaction to that familiarity, and they would believe that what was happening in the present was causing the intensity of the reaction. Now, of course, I'm sure many of you have seen this in yourself, or they've, you've seen it in other people that you're trying to work with. Somebody, for example, who's had, let's say, a very controlling parent, or a man who's had a very controlling mother, who's finally managed to extricate himself from a very controlling mother, then he begins <clears throat> to live with a woman and she'll ask him something innocent, like, when will you be home? <clears throat> and all of a sudden, they're having a huge fight. 
And it was a perfect, on her part, it was a perfectly innocent request. When will you be home? Just an easy question. There was no even implication that you had to be home at any time at all. But for the man, even to be asked when he would be home, this is just an example, would remind him of this overbearing relationship he'd had with another woman. So he considered that to be a very aggressive, very intrusive, very inappropriate question that had to be fought off with all his energy. So in this couple, they were a match set of unexamined reactions, the complete lack of introspection. And so they, they lived for a very short time together in the belief that one or the other was always clawing, <laughs> clawing me to pieces, even when, because they didn't know where their pain was coming from. And if they'd been capable of, of deep and calm introspection, they would have been able to discern, tell the difference between the past and the present. I mean, that's what, that's what real introspection is, is you can tell the difference between the past and the present. Now, the difficulties and the challenge of, it, of introspection are multitudinous. One of them is past lives, because oftentimes we will have a, a deep and a true emotional experience, but it is not, is not being caused by anything that is happening in the present. It can be either subconscious in this life, as I was speaking, for example, of a controlling mother, but it could also be some disappointment from an incarnation that's long past. And so I find it, at least both in myself and in trying to be useful to others, that the feeling you're having, it doesn't help to dismiss it. This is a stupid feeling. This is a, a, a silly feeling. Or the person talking to you, you know, to whom you're reacting, who says, that doesn't make any sense that you feel that way. Well, it makes a tremendous amount of sense to me because the experience that I'm, I'm the, the unhealed wound that I'm living with is very real to me. It's just in a lifetime I can't remember. So I'm not really, um, I'm not really making up this feeling. I'm just making a cause and effect relationship that isn't true. And this is where relationships continually get destroyed. Is because somebody's participating in your experience, but they are not causing it. Master went even farther is to say, because we exist in the realm of time, he said, we imagine that one thing causes, because one thing follows another, we, we tend to think that one thing causes another. I mean, that just, that's a really interesting idea. And I can only, I can only isolate it myself. I know Master meant it bigger what I'm going to say, but I've isolated it in terms of somebody speaks or acts in a certain way, and I or someone else will have a reaction to that, and we think there's a cause and effect relationship. And this creates a tremendous strain on interpersonal relations because there could be no malice intended whatsoever in what someone else says, but I'm suddenly reacting to a completely different experience. So this is part of this is learning to work with each other, but most of the difficulties that I have seen in relationships between people, whether it's siblings or parents and children, children and their parents, romantic relationships, friendships even, 
is that people don't know themselves. And you, you come into close association with other people, you don't know who you are, we don't know who we are, we don't know what, where the pain is really coming from, so we attach it to things where it doesn't belong. So anything that enables us to be able to very calmly consider, you know, what do I really feel? What do I really think? Why do I really feel it? Why do I react like that? What was I trying to say? Who am I? I mean, just all those millions of questions. But see, part of the problem is we're trying to use the mind to introspect into the mind. And the, and the heart, um, if it's agitated, will, will make the mind agitated. So anything that helps us be able to um, smooth the waves of action and reaction, smooths the waves of likes and dislikes, and, and calm the fears of actually either having to um, confront again something painful or disappointing or humiliating that we lived through in some previous lifetime or we lived through as a child, there needs to be a, a reservoir of inner strength to be able to do that. You know, we can't just sort of rip open these realities. They're buried for a good reason. They're buried because we didn't know how to deal with them. But it doesn't serve us to leave them buried because they run our lives. And it's much better to have them run our lives right in front of our eyes than somewhere in the buried dark where we, don't, we think we're in charge and we don't even know. So um, this, this relationship between the breath, the mind, the heart, the feelings, is a, is a tremendous, powerful secret tool that we can use. And if we pay even the slightest bit of attention, we will realize that whenever our emotional state shifts, our breath also shifts. I mean, even really, if you think of, you know, very unsubtle acting, and somebody's really excited about something, and, 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 and they just don't know what to do, you never say it like, there's, a, there's an intruder in the yard, and he's carrying a very large stick, and he chase me into the house. You know, you just don't say it like that. As soon as your emotions really get involved, you find your breath start shifting immediately. And oftentimes, uh, sometimes my mind, I'll be trying to fall asleep myself, and my mind will activate. Just like, just like I'm right on the edge of subconsciousness, and my mind will activate. And I can feel that my breath is slowing down, this pattern of exhalation, inhalation, you know, begins to move into the sleep pattern. As soon as the thought activates my mind, because my mind is overactive, I would say, I'll watch immediately, my breath is normal again. It's not, it's not fast unless, unless it's a fear thought that's woken me up, which is not usual. It's just usually a thought. But sometimes it's a tension thought. And all of a sudden, I'm out of that sleep breath. I've also worked it the other way when I was, you know, training myself not to be so reactive, which is definitely something to train yourself to be. And I used to be, as a younger woman, I was much more emotional than I am now, emotionally reactive. And uh, I realized that if I was crying or on the edge of tears, if I controlled my breath, now Swami's talking here about merely observing it, um, at, at, because, and I'll skip, I'll go back to this for a moment. 
if you even watch the breath, when you start watching the breath, your mind becomes very focused on watching the breath. And this is a very serious meditation technique. Swami's presenting it to us as an introspection technique, but both are true because if you watch the breath and really concentrate on watching the breath, even more powerfully if you put an affirmation with it, I am peace, I am calm, I am joy, I am free, I am courage, I am courage. Inhalation, I am exhalation, whatever you want to affirm, because that helps occupy the mind. Just watching the breath automatically calms the breath, automatically calms the mind, because it brings the mind to a clear focus. And once we're calmer, then anything we want to understand is more likely to be revealed to us. And on the other side of it, another practice, which is called pranayam, controlling the energy, controlling the breath. Pranayam is more than just breathing exercises, but a lot of yoga practice involves breathing exercises because we can also work it from the other side. We can just observe the breath and the mere observation of it will calm it down and the mere focus on it will calm us and it down. The other is that if we're agitated, we can deliberately calm the breath or we can use them all together. Calm the breath, then observe it. But I remember when I was inclined to be weepy and I remember that I realized if I, if I breathed evenly and deeply, it was not possible to weep and to breathe evenly and deeply at the same time, which you can either what you can either activate merely by self-control, or you can activate by walking quickly or running quickly. I have been. Um, I like to swim for exercise. I just it's a habit of mine, and I've been doing it for a couple of decades now. And I swim because it's very good for my body. It's an excellent, and I like it for lots of reasons. But the other reason I swim is I, I swim, I've, I never learned to turn my head in the Australian crawl. Is that what they call it, the Australian crawl? Anyway, I never learned to turn my head properly. So I, I swim laps, but I use a snorkel. And so as a result of that, the, the consequence of that is, rather than holding my breath, gasping for breath, which is what you do normally, I'm, it's a constant, even breathing, constant. So what happens as I swim for 30 minutes, which I try to do, um, it's 30 minutes of constant, even, deep breathing. So I actually swim for the sake of my mind. Because if I ever feel agitated, I throw myself into the swimming pool. <laughs> because then 30 minutes of forced, deep, rhythmical breathing brings everything to a calm fo- focus. And it interrupts what I call the physiological um, aspects of stress. And and so instead of it building, I stop it. I stop it by physical action, and then that physical action frees my mind, and I can understand what's upsetting me, I can think more clearly, I can come to a more peaceful understanding, everything Swami suggests. So explore the relationship between mind, feeling, and breath, and you will find it will serve your life tremendously. Swami says, a key to introspection is to focus on the rhythms of your breath, on its calmness or rapidity, on its force of flow, on the location of that flow in the nostrils, on each pause between the breaths, 
on the relative length of inhalation to exhalation. In sleep, for instance, exhalation is twice as long as inhalation. Your breathing is a reflection of your mental state. As you watch it, you will find yourself becoming inwardly calm, and your stillness, in turn, will deepen your introspection. God bless you, my friend. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.